Welcome to episode 170. Today, we learn about how to develop SEL and English language skills simultaneously. Welcome to the Teaching Multilingual Learners podcast. This podcast celebrates teachers who answer the calling to serve multilingual students and their families. When I went to school as a child, we didn't learn about social emotional learning. There was no advisory class carved into our schedule or time to learn soft skills along our more academic ones. I still remember when I was in first grade, the teacher was passing out candy fruit. I received a grape shaped one, but my friend received the strawberry one. I quickly snatched it out of his hand until the teacher angrily ripped it out of mine and yelled at me. I remember her saying, no, don't do that. That would have been a great opportunity to learn about self-management or impulse control, but it became a negative memory for me. I would have understood if she said, sometimes we don't get what we want and we can control our emotions when we're disappointed. This story shows how SEL is so important to teach but when do we have time to teach it? Especially for multilingual students who have so many standards for language development. In this podcast, Dr. Margarita Calderon and Lisa Tataglia will show us how English language development can serve as the context for developing students' emotional intelligence as well. Now, on to today's podcast. I am so excited and honored to welcome back Dr. Margarita Catoron. She, besides Dr. Angel Hagensfeld, is the most visited expert on this podcast. Doc, uh, Dr. Angel Hagensfeld has been here five times, and Dr. Margarita has been here four. And so today she has partnered with Lisa Tartaglia to write a book, and I'm so excited that she's here on the podcast as well. Uh, Lisa, if Dr. Catoron has parted with you, she thinks the highest of you and you instantly have my respect because you work with Margarita, but also that you're a VP. So I, um, the work that I do as a teacher stand on the, the stands on the foundation of that you set as VP and principal. So both Dr. Margarita and Lisa, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you. It, it's always such an honor to, to, chat with you. It's wonderful, whether it's, you know, on these podcasts or, or uh, on Twitter. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. This is very exciting for my first time being on the podcast. Uh-huh. It's an honor. <laughs> first and many more to come, I'm yes, sure. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, today, we're going to talk about congratulations on your newest book called Cultivating Competence in English Learners, Integrating Social Emotional Learning with language and literacy. When I saw this book, I was like, yes, this field has been waiting for it. And when I saw the authors, I was like, oh, yes, no one better. So um, let's, before we get to the book, we'll talk about uh, how where you spend your days and how you spend your days. And then we'll go to the book. I spend my days these days, uh, basically coaching teachers. 
from 8.30 to 3.30, I coach teachers almost every single day or else um, we do workshops. So typically we do a workshop one week and then we coach the teachers the following week or, or in the next two weeks. And so uh, Lisa is part of my uh, team of fabulous, fabulous associates. And um, so that's what I typically do. I just uh, love being with teachers in schools and um 29 schools. So that's a lot of teachers. <laughs> uh -huh. uh, but I, I love it. Everything is just, um, you know, so rewarding to see them implement some wonderful strategies in their classrooms. Um, because these are core content teachers. So, so it's delightful. Yep. So I spend my days as a high school assistant principal in Virginia. Um, it has about 1700 students. So I'm on the ground all day. And then sometimes when I have days off or after school, I am coaching with, um, with Margarita and um, we're coaching schools in across the country, also doing workshops for schools across the country. Or we're attending conferences and uh, in uh, that Margarita is a keynote at, and we have a we've been having booths with her books and um, different things that we've made for the program and putting the program out there for people to see. But uh, yeah, I, all day assistant principal, high <laughs> school assistant principal, which has only been three years, so uh, it's a lot of fun. It's been an interesting three years to go into that field. So, uh, but I enjoy it. Let's start off the podcast with talking about, for each of you, please share a story about teaching that has really changed your practice. I think my story goes way back, uh, you know, about 100 years ago when I was teaching high school, <laughs> high school and middle school. <laughs> uh, I taught um, ESL in middle school. And uh, it, I I found it quite difficult because there was nothing that would work effectively. And so I started experimenting and I think that was that was the beginning. Uh, I, I started experimenting with uh, putting students together to talk to each other. That was a mess. <laughs> that was my first failure. I, I just didn't do it right. And I said, there's got to be something else. And so that's what prompted me to, to move into graduate school and then research. And uh, just that one failure <laughs> was uh, the reason why, why I'm here. <laughs> well, we're happy for that quote unquote failure because it has brought you to research and has brought you to our classroom. So I don't think that's a failure. Oh, thank you. <laughs> so I... Uh... I, there are so many stories because I've taught across the, you know, I was in kindergarten, first grade, fifth grade, high school, and so many stories, but one in particular that kind of changed um, the way I thought about working with EL students or even like long-term L's. Uh, I had a fifth grade student that came in and um, at first it was kind of shy, but I started doing this problem of the day in math and I would have this problem on the board and I would give the students about 20 minutes to solve it come and they had i didn't even know what the solutions were for some of them it was from this uh program that was called problem of the day and they would have time to talk and work with each other they could use anything they wanted to solve it however they wanted to solve it and they had to kind of justify how they did it 
And this one student um, just started taking off with this and really just saw that given the opportunity to be able to work in this manner and just working with his peers and just kind of coming up with his own solution that wasn't just a one answer thing, really kind of just put him in a different place. And then he started doing that in all subject areas and he became a, a big leader in the class, but it changed the dynamic of the classroom and everyone started to try to do what he was doing. And I just saw like, even I had a level one in that class too, and just seeing that they were all working together, how much, how important discourse was cooperate, you know, cooperative learning. And it just changed my thought that I could give them rigor. I could give them these hard things. And when they work together and providing the uh, strategies and um, an environment for that, they just took off the end of the year, that student on his four state exams, three of them were perfect scores. And um, I, it just blew my mind. Like he blew, he blew me away. But I went back at the end of the year and looked at some of his cumulative records. And there was a uh, third grade teacher that was only two years before at a different school that had said all these things about him that he was disruptive. He was disengaged. He did not do well. So it was just like I had never read that part. So to me, it just really showed that that environment where they're given time to talk and work together really just just created different learners so kind of changed the way I did things after that you're really talking about the core principle of uh, when we work with English learners when they realize we believe in them they'll they'll rise to that level so you didn't look at his his past and let that determine his present you said I'm going to see you as who you are and I'm going to create conditions for you to be successful and look how successful you became. And so that past, that narrative that he brought with him was, yeah. wasn't in play because you created conditions for him to be successful. Yeah, it was great. <laughs> Loved it. <laughs> Let's talk about your book. Every seed, every book has a seed. What was the seed of this book? Well, I, I think, um, the questions that came from the teachers. Uh, they had a lot of questions on how to integrate cell into their vocabulary, into their partner reading, into the team writing, because um, by by then, you know, in the last few years, as you know, we've been working uh, with schools, uh, but doing a lot of uh, pair type of instruction, whether it's for, practicing a new word or reading a text. And so they asked, um, so how do I integrate SEL into this? Uh, I like what I'm doing, but I also have to embed SEL into my lesson. So how do I prove that I'm doing that? And um, I, I said, yes, definitely. I said, because we we need to be more explicit of where we are putting SEL into these lessons. And it even brought me back to, to my high school and, and middle school days, because that's when, um, you know, years ago, I realized I didn't set up the right social emotional norms for my students to talk to each other, to participate, to have respect for one another. And so kind of putting all of this together, that's where uh, the seed uh, was born in my mind. Uh, uh, how about you, Lisa? Yeah, to kind of build on that, it, SEL has been like a big thing and everyone's talking about all these 
programs that are separate, <clears throat> like we have to teach in this manner. But really the conversations that we had had with teachers and and um, in the trainings that we were doing and in, when we were observing teachers, we really were doing a lot of SEL through some of the stuff that we were doing in the reading, the writing and the vocabulary. So just kind of highlighting that and then being more intentional about it was, was the basis of this book and saying like, yes, you can do SEL throughout here. It doesn't have to be this whole separate thing. You can do it in all the things that you do. Um, and so that's really where this book also came from. So I hear the common thread between your conversations, what you just shared was that um, we, as just in just in the same way, we have to be explicit with our academic language instruction. We have to be explicit with teaching SEL as well. Would one of you talk about what is uh, SEL and then the other person say what it's not, like the common myths, and then like debunk them? Social emotional learning is something that starts with us as educators. Uh, we need to look inward and, and check our own social skills, our own emotional well-being, uh, where we are, where we need to be. And most importantly, the thing about social emotional learning is that there is uh, one of those competencies is social awareness. And I think that's key for English language learners, for us to, to relate to the English language learner and to develop that sensitivity uh, to where they are and where they want to be. It's not where we want them or some uh, state exam or you know some standard that we have to adhere to. Uh, they will attain those standards once they know that yes, you know, like Lisa's example, we can relate to them. We love them. We want to help them. We want them to be their own person. And, and this is where, uh, besides social awareness, um, we can also help them to develop self-awareness, that they themselves become aware of their own talents, of um, their relationships, their friends, the way that they can communicate with others, and how um, they can make um, wonderful decisions based on, on all of these uh, competencies and skills. She said some of the knots <laughs> when it wasn't. <laughs> so so I think what I, I agree with all those things. Um, but I think some of the things that it's not, I don't see it as just this separate subjects which I feel like sometimes it's being advertised. Like we have to have our SEL lesson now. Like I, I don't see it as necessarily sure. We have to bring awareness to the students, but I think they need to see it in everything that they're doing, that they are becoming more self-aware learning how to manage their emotions, learning how to make responsible decisions, you know, getting along with others, their relationship skills, but embedded through everything that they do, not just this separate thing that today we're going to learn about this and, it's separate. So just seeing that it's a part of everything they do um, and that awareness for it. So, And in this book, you've attached to uh, SEL to language and literacy. I am so excited about that. Let's talk about chapter one, which is about applying self-awareness to vocabulary and discourse. Can you talk to us about chapter one? Um, chapter one talks about vocabulary and self-awareness in it. 
Um, one of the things we highlight in there is uh, a process that we call the seven step process. And it is teaching, pre-teaching vocabulary uh, before reading, um, before going into a unit. And so we're pre-teaching tier two words. And in the first part of the seven steps, uh, it's the teacher does all the talking, tells um, the students repeat the word after the teacher three times. Then the uh, teacher gives the, the context of where the word is found in the text they're reading. Then the teacher gives the dictionary definition, the student-friendly definition, some features about the word, if it's a cognate, um, if it's a, a verb or a noun, um, and if it's polysemous. And then the step six is where the teacher creates a sentence frame that the students have to fill in, and then they work with a partner to go back and forth, um, filling in the blank of that sentence frame using the target word. That's where the SEL comes into that. And we talk about that a lot, how they um, putting those students together as they come up with the sentences back and forth for a minute, where the SEL is embedded in that. And they are um, they're supporting each other. Um, they're helping each other if they don't know what to put in. They're congratulating each other. Like there's so many things in there. And then the students becoming so aware, like I can do this. Like it gives them that confidence. Um, that that sentence frame does so much for that student with that word. Even like if it's a newcomer that doesn't know, we could put like the, the teacher could put the sentence frame on the board with one filled in or some pictures. And if the student doesn't know like what to fill in, their partner could be like, hey, remember it's up on the board. We have an example on the board so that they're involved. Every student's involved. Every student is, they're all talking to each other. Um, no one's left out. And they and then now they have some confidence going into that text that they're going to read or into that unit because now they have four to five words they already know before they go in there. So we kind of felt like this was a great place to talk about self-awareness and how it was part of that process and vocabulary. Would you give us an example of that, of self-awareness and vocabulary? Um, so I, I think that that's what, like, what I'm saying, like that they are aware that they can do it, like the building that confidence. Um, we also in the chapter give some words for feelings in there, like talking about pre-teaching words um, about how they feel, some specificity for words. So like um, if they're scared, um, frightened, maybe something a little more specific, that taking time out to teach those words to students so they have the vocabulary vocabulary to be able to say how they feel and how to express their emotions. So we do have a section in there about some words that are more specific for certain feelings and, and making sure we teach our students that, that it's not just, yes, I'm happy, but maybe, you know, they're excited or, you know, some different words for them to use to be more specific about their feelings. So that would be an example of one of the things that we have in there. So is the SEL part where you would put the sentence stems and sentence frames, uh, the SEL part of that, like you would write a sentence that's connected to SEL, or is it the interaction that students have between each other? So thank you for, uh, so it would be the interactions that the students have with each, within each other. That's only one section of what we have in chapter one on vocabulary. The, the other, you could teach words with the seven step model for words that are more specific for feelings. So if you see the kids need those words, we can pre-teach them. So the students have that vocabulary to use when they want to talk about their feelings and how they're doing. And your actually seven steps uh, for vocabulary that you that Lisa just just cited was is famous around the world. People are like, oh yeah, it's Calderon seven steps. I'm like, yes, I know who created that. 
<laughs> Thank you. Let's move to chapter two. Well, I I wish what I really wish that everyone talked about is reading, yes. because we developed the model called Excel to teach reading to for core content teachers to have strategies to to get the students to read more and to enjoy reading. Uh, and so I'm hoping, you know, that this eventually happens. I'm happy to hear about the seven steps. I want to hear the same thing about what is really the cornerstone of our uh, Excel model. And that is partner reading plus summarization. I know that many um, schools, models do partner reading and, you know, the students read together and then that's it. Uh, but it's not, and this is where the cell comes in. Uh, the teacher needs to prepare the students by, first of all, stating some social norms. Uh, how do we work with our partners? How do we talk with our partners? And this is where they also learn some new words through the seven steps or through role plays. What is patience? And they wrote, they can role play exemplars, non-exemplars. Uh, what does it mean to help? And what is a negative example of helping? When your, your partner gets stuck on a word, how do you help? How should we help? And what is a not a good way to help? And so this is where the SEL comes in, just to set up those partnerships to make sure that they know how to work together and not to have uh, issues or problems from the beginning, because that's what happens for the most part. Teachers give up. This, oh, the students don't want to work together. They don't like this. They don't want to do it. No, unless we set it up and we tell them the benefits of partner reading with summarization, then they won't want to do it. And even the reluctant ones, once they see all the partnerships working together very effectively and their summaries coming to life, uh, that's what's really exciting. And so students will, after having been uh, through this awareness, of uh, how how do we function effectively? How do we manage ourselves? So it, there's a lot of self-management that goes into reading. We have to manage our, our um, willingness to be patient, to respect others, to accept help. It's not just helping, but being willing uh, to accept somebody else's help self-control if we're upset, <laughs> we have to control ourselves. Uh, in other words, self-management. And that's what teachers can talk about and embed into the partnership. Because what they're going to do is they're going to read alternating sentences. It's sentence by sentence. I read a sentence, you read a sentence. I read a sentence, you read a sentence. When we come to the end of a paragraph, we stop and we summarize. Yes, we have to go back and maybe look for some things that we might have missed, but 
this is a great indication of close reading. Now we're going back to do some close reading. Uh, if, you know, if we really are serious about having students learn how to do close reading, this is the way to do it. Because if you and I have to put together a summary and uh, we forgot or we kind of just overlooked uh, some important things, we can go back, reread, put together a summary, both of us together, so that it's enriched, it's enhanced. Uh, two heads are better than one. And those summaries uh, really um, form the foundation of what we need to remember in terms of content. So we're really dealing with language, literacy, core content, if we're in biology, we're remembering the content, and then we're practicing those cell strategies, uh, how, to, how to be nice to each other, <laughs> and, and, and then our own self-awareness. Oh yeah, I think I I think I I should try to contribute this idea. It might get turned down, but I think I have enough um, uh, courage to post this idea to my partner. Enough confidence that my partner will accept it, or if, if not, then my partner will just say, okay, well, I like part of that, but let's build on it. And so that's the type of language that we want to hear when they're formulating their summaries. After they finish the first paragraph, they go on to the next paragraph, again, alternating sentences, coming to the end of a paragraph, summarizing what is in that paragraph. So when teachers do this, by the end of uh, three, four paragraphs, those students have learned so much, so much language, because they are applying the, not just the five words that the teacher pre-taught, but other words that they picked up as they were reading. Uh, they've learned to read, reread for a purpose, for close reading, and more importantly, they know that biology concept in each one of those paragraphs that they are supposed to be reading. So that's that's why we feel that we needed to integrate uh, cell language literacy and and content. As you're both talking, I'm I'm seeing like a a stool with three legs. Like before, it was just one stool was the content. Well, one leg of that stool was content. The other stool, that leg, is the language development, academic language development. Now, the third one that is really supporting that is the SEL. Right? We can't just have kids uh, say go and work together and summarize. We actually have to now model that. We have to create the. This is the example. This is the non-example. And we're, I, what I love about your the way that you're writing your book is that you're providing a context to teach SEL explicitly. Thank you. Yes, we've taken each one of the competencies for each one of the chapters and then mapped it out that way. And the competencies come from Castle, is that right? That's right. The five uh, Castle competencies. 
So it's not just like, oh, you're just pulling it out of like thin air. It's like, here's the research. Like you're, Margarita, you're known for like the academic research on language acquisition and language development. And then now you've partnered with uh, the taking the framework from CASO and then bringing them together. And that's why this book is so important for the field. Let's move to chapter three, which is about another competency, which is social awareness applied to discourse. Let's let's talk about what is discourse first, and then let's add it to social awareness. So discourse is getting the students talking about their content, right? Having conversations and engaging in their content with each other by speaking. We want students speaking, especially since the two years that they weren't speaking, right? We know that there are some effects of that, that students sat in their rooms on Zoom or, you know, Google Meet. They didn't talk. They would type in the chat. I watched, I got to observe all those classes those students were not talking. So we're re- right now we really have to be um, explicit about how to get those students engaging with each other and not just turn and talk to your partner. Because I've observed that. They don't always talk about the content. So we have to give them things to do to be able to talk with their partner. Um, and so that social awareness piece is teaching students how to see perspective, um, have empathy, compassion, and just really some of the stuff that we need to bring back because they lost a little bit of it during um, when they were doing distance learning. So this chapter um, talks a lot about getting students engaging in their content and talking about it. Um, Summarizing is one part. And even after if students read or a a teacher teaches something, they could turn around and, and summarize with their partner what they did and giving them that framework um, with maybe like table tense, something they have in front of them using those transition words when they summarize, um, providing that framework for them so they have something as a model when they are summarizing or um, engaging in discourse with each other about their content. This chapter gives some examples of things that you can do. Um, And I observe a lot of classrooms and the one thing I always ask them are, how are you engaging all students? Because what I'll see a majority of the time is about 10 students at best answering all the questions that the teacher's asking. It's usually just posed to the whole class, it's, it's easier for them to just say it this way. The few kids are engaging, be like, yes, they're getting it. But I notice the kids that are sitting there and not speaking and not getting it. And I could watch a 90 minute class and there will be some students that haven't said a word for 90 minutes. So what are we doing with that? And that that's with this chapter. And I always suggest it to teachers, get them up after you teach something, get them up. And we give some examples like a conga line, get up in a conga line and stand and with the person across from you and giving them a prompt giving them something that they have to respond to very um, being very specific about what they're saying with their partner, Um, you know, respond to this after you taught something or four corners, go to the four corners and there's a question there, Um, you know, doing a a carousel where they go around something to get them engaged, the inside outside circles where they're talking about their content, because we, we see a lot of where they jump from reading the teacher teaches, they read, and then they go, right and do the work and they're missing that discourse step and they're missing opportunities to learn from each other. Uh, We have an activity that we do in the Excel model um, called numbered heads together. And then um, the students, I mean, they, they create questions and they do numbered heads together where the teams have to put their heads together to come up with the answer before they respond. And teachers could use that all the time because it gives time for every student to talk about their learning and learn and then 
come up with an answer and not just put students on the spot. It gives them time to rehearse. They hear from their peers. They hear perspective, like what other students think. And then when they recite the answer, we have um, different transition words for them to respectfully agree or disagree or add on or to, you know, so we're teaching them again how to, yeah, I get that point. I'm going to add on to that. Or, you know, and so we have to teach them that. We have to teach them to understand how to engage with each other, be very explicit about. It. So this chapter gives a lot of that information for things that teachers can do and how that builds that social awareness. Right. So you're uh, giving that opportunity for students to talk before they write. And we all know that like learning is a social experience and you're, you're connecting um, self-awareness to that. Let's move to chapter four, which is about applying responsible decision-making to writing. Mm-hmm. Right, 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 right. Writing. <laughs> Um, that is the culminating um, event uh, from uh, going from vocabulary to reading to formulating questions, uh, a lot of discourse in between. All of that has enabled the students to build a lot of vocabulary, a lot of sentence structures that they have seen in the reading in those paragraphs. And as they summarized, they used the sentence structures. As they did the round, the verbal round robins, the corners, the discourse, they practiced putting together more sentences that really make sense or provide specificity. So now the students can write some wonderful compositions. Uh, some no, no, non-exemplars would be that um, we often jump too quickly into writing. And yeah, they'll read, um, you know, they'll read uh, individually in class, one by one. And then the, as uh, Lisa said, a couple of them will answer some questions. The same students will answer the teacher questions all the time. And then they're supposed to write a composition. That's not going to work. It's not going to work unless they verbalize all these concepts, all the language. It's not going to turn into powerful writing. The students need to go through a lot of discourse, a lot, <clears throat> excuse me, more learning of uh, vocabulary and grammar as they read, as they summarize. By then, they'll be ready to write. And the responsible um, uh, decision making comes when they're actually having to use creativity, originality, uh, and um, uh, all those other skills that perhaps they haven't been able to use for many, many years. And all of a sudden they've encountered that, oh my gosh, I'm supposed to be writing and uh, nobody's telling me exactly what I'm supposed to be doing. <laughs> and so this is where the joint decision-making comes into play. And now that we have to write, the three of us are writing. So Lisa, you and I have to make some decisions as to not just the topic, but how are we, what about the format? What about our audience? 
um, what kind of um, uh, attention-grabbing title uh, are we going to want? But let's put that aside. Let's develop, first of all, our composition. Let's draft it. After we draft it, we have to make decisions. Do we like how we start every sentence? No, we don't like this one. Let's change it. Then, okay, we need to elaborate on, on certain sentences. Um, what do we think we need to do? So we're doing a lot of joint decision making. And so now we've attained, we've reached a higher level, a higher order of SEL as well as language development, because now we can put this wonderful original piece together. And then when it comes to the conclusion, that entails a lot of decisions as well. How do we write a powerful conclusion? What are some things that we can pull down from what we've written? And how do we want to end it with, with a question, uh, with a quote, with, um, you know, how summarizing? Uh, how do we want to conclude our masterpiece? And so <laughs> there's a lot of decisions that need to be made in um, writing a composition. And even though we're writing this in triads or teams of four, all of those processes, all of those skills are going to transfer to our own individual writing. So when it comes to our writing by ourselves, we will remember we will remember what Tan said about this X, Y, and Z. I'll remember what Lisa suggested for this. And um, working with colleagues, working with um, uh, folks that are going through the same thing I am, where no one is better than anyone else. Uh, we're in the same boat. And one of us has talents that deal with this, others have the, these other talents, but we're all together in this. And it's the same thing with teachers. This is what we have found, that the teachers also feel like, okay, in this school, we're all together in the same boat. We're all learning new strategies. And uh, either we collaborate, we help each other, you know, we sink <laughs> the boat or we become successful. And so this is where we see whole faculties uh, move toward that success very quickly. And others will take a little bit longer because they're not used to working together. Uh, and they're not, you know, they've been isolated for so long that, it's taking time to gel, but um, I think we're seeing progress in that as well. I just love this chapter in particular because you you really connected writing to the concept of decision-making. When we write, authors are intentional about the words they use, the vocabulary, the sequencing of ideas, the transition words. And it's a na like a natural marriage to decision-makings, we have developing students' ability to make decisions as an SEL skill. So I thought it was just so well, like the whole book is just so well intentionally laid out and like language development, SEL merged together. Mm -hmm. The last chapter is about classroom communities. Would you talk to us about um, classroom communities 
and SEO? So chapter five kind of ties it all together. To be able to do all these things, you need to have an environment, a culture, a climate that it has all that, right? That we have a space to be able to do all those things and that we're all on the same page. So we start chapter five out with talking about the classroom community and creating a space for students. Like I talked about in my favorite moment, I created a space for those students that they could excel. So what are some things that we can do to teach those um, SEL competencies and to talk about them, setting norms in the classroom as Margarita referenced, um, having that morning meeting, that time to talk about things, um, even when we talk about our EL students, just creating a school environment that they feel included all the time and things that you might not think about. One thing I, we put in there, um, the morning announcements, <laughs> and I'm in the high school and we do them over the loudspeaker and think about how many times a lot of our EL students miss those morning announcements. Um, maybe it goes too fast. They, they don't hear them. So one of the things we put in there is Hey, if you're you're in a class, take those morning announcements in writing. Let the students partner read them and discuss about what you know what's going on in school this week. Give them some discourse about it. Get excited about it so that they know what's going on. Or if you have a special event coming up, um, give an example about homecoming in the high school. Um, that's a new concept for some students that they're coming. They're they're new to the country. What homecoming is? Um, so I give an example. We give an example of. I wrote an essay about homecoming. Like I wrote an article about what it was and I had this, I pre-taught the vocabulary <laughs> and then the students partner read it and they discussed it and summarize it. And then they, if they had questions about like, what is homecoming? Like it's spirit week. You should dress in these outfits. What does that mean? So we, we used the stuff that was going on in the school and talked about it in the classroom so that they felt part of the school community. And um, and then also we go into a little bit of setting norms of engaging with students in the school. Like what are our norms for when we're going to engage students? We're gonna use their first and last name when we see them good morning and saying their names correctly. Things like that, that as a school community, we all come together, the staff, and think about how we're going to engage our students and create that environment for them. And then it goes into um, collective teacher efficacy, which I will let Margarita speak about that. <laughs> Yes. And, and so here we, we've turned the tables because the teachers are teaching the students all about uh, these competencies. Um, it kind of seeps in through osmosis. <laughs> it seeps, yeah. And, and so we see teachers wanting to collaborate more. But we do talk about TLCs, Teachers Learning Communities, which are critical. Yeah, uh, offering uh, PD on the seven steps is only step number one, right? What has to happen afterwards is that the school uh, needs to set up time for teachers to come together, collaborate, talk about their recent successes, or maybe some problems that they're having. They just started, but they're, they have these problems. So they'll want to share that with their colleagues and talk about those uh, issues. Or who has done this before? Who, who, um, who did this and it worked out really well? What did you do? Can you model for me? Uh, and um, I understand that uh, you you switched two of the steps. Why did you do that? And tell me if it's working better for you uh, to do this one first and then the other one. So those are some of the conversations that they've had in their TLCs, 
where they uh, share only for about 30 minutes. They get together and, and share and explore and model for each other. That helps tremendously. So when, when we come and we observe the teachers, we coach the teachers, we observe them for 15 minutes. This is done online. So the observation is 15 minutes. They decide what they're going to teach and what we're going to observe. So maybe a teacher will um, uh, want us to observe in those 15 minutes how he sets up the partner reading uh, in, in algebra. So we observe for 15 minutes or one of us observes for 15 minutes. And then later in the day, another 15 minutes with the teacher to give the teacher feedback, uh, to give the teacher an opportunity to ask a lot of questions and, and to feel comfortable about continuing with next steps. Uh, so all of that is, is uh, collaborating and uh, coming together uh, in communities of practice where it, it doesn't stop at the PD level and uh, it continues through uh, teacher collaboration, coaching, uh, which later turns into peer coaching, and uh, some become expert coaches, as we've seen in uh, Lisa's uh, school district. Um, in fact, uh, I have uh, <clears throat> uh, appropriated, no, invited, what's the right word, stolen, uh, three <laughs> of the fabulous teachers from uh, Loudoun County who are now part of my team because they were so fantastic, so fabulous. And they have also been coaching teachers at their schools across the district. And uh, it's just um, a fabulous um, enterprise undertaking by all. And so we're building, yes, we're building capacity, we're building competencies, but we're also building a lot of sharing, a lot of uh, uh, discourse, discussion around um, uh, how do we do this? What's a better way of doing this? And uh, uh, teachers themselves have enhanced um, Excel uh, because they apply it, they practice it, they find something that works better. And, and then, um, and, and, you know, it's, it, it's, just wonderful to see that. <laughs> That's all I can say. It's fantastic to be working with teachers because they're all so talented. Uh, schools just need to give them permission, just like we give students permission to talk, discuss, share. Teachers need time and opportunities to share and learn from their colleagues and enhance their practice and, and share it across the world. I love this chapter, how you switched it from student facing to teacher facing. And the quote that I, that when you were talking, I was talking, thinking about, okay, when we, uh, if you want to go faster, go alone. If you want to go farther, go together. And this, this chapter is really about, it's like, it's not the teacher lottery. It's <laughs> what can we do together? It's not saying like, oh my goodness, this kid is so lucky because this kid got this teacher. It's saying, 
these students, all these students in the school are lucky equally because all these teachers are working together collectively, which is connected to what you talked about in collective teacher efficacy. Mm-hmm. Let's move to the last question before we go. Oh my goodness, how did an hour go by so fast? Could you please each give me uh, something that teachers could start doing and stop doing in terms of SEL and working? Actually, let me just pause. Actually, we didn't get to answer this question. And I've got to ask, why is it so important for English learners to learn SEL? Okay. So I guess, yeah, we could, we could start there. Oh, okay. Um, you know, it's really important for English learners to learn all about SEL because this way they're they're learning to build confidence, self-assurance, uh, self-management, uh, accepting of themselves where they're at without uh, being scared or ashamed of their culture. We want them to accept their culture, be very proud of their language and their culture. And that also comes with SEL. Uh, They have to believe in themselves. And, And as educators, we need to give them that space and that opportunity to believe in themselves, to see their talents, They've been sitting quietly in the back of the room for so many years that um, they haven't had an opportunity to to even see what their talent is. And uh, and this, uh, the way we've structured this and take integrated language literacy, especially literacy, I I want to make sure we include the word literacy because it's not just um, language, language is, is good. I know it's a broader term, but I always want to emphasize the literacy because that's that's uh, what they've been needing all this time: uh, reading and writing, quality reading and writing. Um, but they they learn all those skills to get along, to build relationships, which is highly important for for else. Yeah, if they're going to succeed and feel good about themselves, they have to have those relationships, whether it's with the teachers, uh, the administrators, or with peers. So Lisa, I will let you end uh, the podcast since Margarita just gave hers. Um, would you tell us one thing that teachers could stop doing and start doing in terms of SEL and we'll end the podcast there? So stop doing, I, I think I just go back to what I said, like stop being on the stage the whole time and feeling like that you have to do all the work and give the students opportunities to engage with each other, discourse, 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 a million times discourse, um, so that they can work on those things. They're not going to have an opportunity to work on any of this SEL stuff if they're stuck in the back of the room, as Margarita said, and they're just, you know, getting a modified assignment. They need rigor. They need opportunities to shine. They need an environment for that. And they need to be taught how to do that. It's that you can't assume that everybody knows how to engage with each other. So being intentional about discourse, providing the resources they need to be able to engage with each other and giving those opportunities for them to shine and learn about themselves with embedding all the SEL competencies into what they're doing. And literacy is the entry point for all that. I just want to say. Thank you for helping us 
move farther together with your book. I know I'm when it's the second I get off of this recording, I know I'll go online to write a five-star review. Who would have thought to merge that SEL and language development, English, English language development can be merged so beautifully and you did it together gracefully. So thank you so much, Lisa and Margarita. Thank you. Thank you for the invitation. We love working with you. Yes, thank you so much. It was wonderful. A pleasure to meet you and be on your podcast. Before we recap this episode, I have a favor and an invitation. My favor is to ask you to please review this podcast. My invitation is to check out my three courses on English Learner Portal. One is on creating the conditions for MLs to thrive, one on teacher collaboration, and one based on my co-authored book with Beth Skelton called Long-Term Success for Experienced Multilinguals. Now, on to our recap. I am so relieved for this take on SEL. I know that from previous podcasts on SEL, that emotional intelligence should be integrated into our lessons and not standalone. But Margarita and Lisa's book takes a new perspective on this completely. They suggest that as students develop their English skills, that's the perfect opportunity to also foster social emotional skills. For example, their emotional skills will develop while they do turn and talks to talk about new vocabulary words. As they collaboratively summarize a the text, they'll grow their skills as well. As students engage in discussions and as when they co-author a text, that's an opportunity for social emotional intelligence. This means that SEL doesn't have to feel like an add-on or take a backseat to English language development. Instead, as students are learning to apply and acquire their language, SEL guides them through their interactions and their self-management. Thank you for listening. Be safe and be rooted in peace. It's your turn to play Traffic Light Teaching. Tweet at me either your red, yellow, or green light from this particular episode.